Welcome to Behind Success, a podcast where we interview top business leaders and thought provokers from a variety of different industries. These individuals have achieved enormous success and have given us the opportunity today to learn from their journey in the business world. Please check out the link in bio to stay up to date with Behind Success. We appreciate your ongoing support. Hope you enjoy the episode. Before we get into this episode, we would like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Reflex Media. Reflex Media is an investor relations firm which myself and Lucas co-founded in 2021. Since the start of 2021, we've had the opportunity to work with over 25 public and private companies in the Canadian market. If your company or someone you may know's company is having a hard time sharing their story, please visit Reflex's link in our bio to check out our services. Now we can get on with today's episode. Well, nice to be here with you, Ivan, today. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your day to do the interview. I know you're busy today, flying home, but um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, so anyways, usually I kind of ask my guests to give a little brief introduction about themselves. So if you don't mind doing that, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, great to be here. And thanks for taking the interview. Um, I'm a mining entrepreneur. I've been in the business for 23 years. I uh, started my career during the peak of the dot-com era when tech was flying. Mining stocks were in the pennies. And I read a book from Warren Buffett, became a contrarian, and got to work, started as a broker, financing mining companies, and then decided to switch side to actually doing IR and, and financing mining companies, mm-hmm. and tasted some early success, some great success, um, bought and sold my first mining projects in Mongolia in my early 20s. And then in 05, started a company called Keegan, where we found 5 million ounces of gold and the stock did very well, but we did not sell the company. We actually built the mine. At the stage of when exploration became development, I moved on to Spearhead Caden Resources with my business partner. And we went out to go repeat the Keegan, Keegan, sorry, the Keegan success. And we did that. And uh, this time we sold the company to uh, Agnico Eagle in 2014, which was the peak of the bear market. This springboarded an unhealthy ambition to go find some of the biggest mines on the planet, uh, raised about $160 million in that effort with Orin, brought me here today, where now I sit as a chair, director, founder of four companies that are public, three that are trading, chasing uh, gold, silver, and world-class copper opportunities around the globe. But uh, I love the treasure hunt. I love finding it because the biggest reward you can get uh, from a discovery in the, in the mining industry and your share prices from a major discovery. Mm-hmm. That's why I still do this. Yeah. Um, so what kind of made you go into mining originally during that tech boom? I know a lot of people, yeah, like the rush of finding the discovery, that's what most people say, but is that why you went into it on the country? Well, it actually goes back to high school and my dad was friends with Friedland when Friedland, Robert Friedland oh, really? first moved to Vancouver. Cool. So I was blessed with numerous Friedland stories yeah. from that. 80s and 90s and um, they were inspirational hearing about his showmanship and his hunger for big things um, that led me to a geology class in grade 12 that led me to a geology class in grade 12 which uh, where I got 97% in geology um, I understood rocks you know? and, uh, <laughs> and then when I entered the business as a stockbroker $200 IPOs you know today look at thousands of dollars what they become they didn't make sense to me in my early 20s so I read a book on Warren Buffett, became a contrarian, and soon after met uh, a big mining broker in town named Rob Sally, who introduced me to Rick Rule and, and several others. But uh, Rick Rule, notably one of the biggest contrarians out there. And I learned, you know, it, it pays to be early, you know, sometimes too early. And, uh, and it's worked. I've never looked back since. 
Yeah, I actually read Robert Fieldman's book about the voice eBay. Um, I thought that was a really good read as well. Um, what gave you the confidence that you could become a mining entrepreneur? Did you kind of always have that passion as an entrepreneur, like even in high school and whatnot? Um, you know, to be honest, um, I was in university and my business professor, Professor Paul Peters, pulled me aside and said, Ivan, you should become a stockbroker. And I didn't know why he was making the assessment, but he was a headhunter for a lot of the New York firms. They'd fly him down from Canada. I was at Western University in Ontario. And, um, you know, he inspired me to go towards the stock market. I met a gentleman named Dr. Romer Shklanka, who my dad introduced me to. He found six major mines around the world. And I just thought it was fascinating, the science, the path. Um, you know, I spent three, four years with Mr. Shklanka or Dr. Shklanka learning about what every color meant on a geological page map, all the do's and don'ts, and just fell in love with it. And then I started making money from it. And uh, soon after, I met my business partner, Sean Wallace, who'd worked with the Hunter Dickinson Group. And we started sharing, you know, great ideas and experiences. And from there, it was, it was all history. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, what are some of the main qualities you've known in like a mining entrepreneur, especially like a successful one? Do you think there is like that quality of like just the eager confidence and always like action, action, action kind of thing? Yeah, there's perseverance is probably the biggest ingredient and optimism. You know, you have to be an eternal optimist because your odds of making a discovery that's going to make it into a mine is one in a thousand. Your odds of making that first discovery is one in a hundred thousand. So the odds are against you. Um, you know, you're playing with global markets. You've got a, you're victim to metal prices, trends, and all of the above. Mm -hmm. So perseverance is, and optimism are the two most important, important ingredients. Um, secondly, use the word confidence. You know, you've got to believe yeah. you need to be a visionary. And so I'm a visionary. I have a ton of drive, super ambitious, recklessly optimistic. And I say that mm -hmm. tongue in cheek and in, in a good way, but it's necessary, especially for the last year or two of these markets. And lastly, if you persevere in the end and you work well with a great team of people around you, you can achieve almost anything. And that's that's really what what's yeah. important. Yeah, I would say optimism is definitely like important just from what I've seen. Because obviously like the mining market takes, there's a lot of ups and lows and I feel like it's important to stay on the right track there. Um, in, into that question, for example, like in a bear market, um, when there is a downturn, how do you create motivation for your team and that and create that optimism? And it's interesting because right now we're experiencing the worst month that I've seen in 23 years of being in the business in terms of sentiment, right? Fundamentals are overwhelmingly off the charts, calling for mining, inflation, you've got a war. These are the ingredients we look for. I was talking to some of our team this morning and I was saying at times like this, you have to look at where you're going to go, not where you came from. And I'm referring to the stock chart. You know, one of our companies, Tier 1 Silver, it IPO'd at $1.90. It's at 47 cents as we sit here and it was a remarkable speculation it actually is a lot better investment today than it was when it came to market because we've actually started to make what we think is the start of a discovery however everyone's worried about that decline in share price you're down 75 percent from where you were and my advice is you have to look with fresh eyes of where you might go and that's where we draw optimism from we're the cheapest we've ever been and the store is better than it's ever been so if you can find optimism, where you're going is more important than where you've been if you have the right fundamentals in your company. Yeah, you know, that is honestly a really great way to look at it instead of saying, hey, my share price is super down. It's like, it's at a discount right now. <laughs> well, or, or it's probably going to go up a lot here yeah. on the backside. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Um, what do you look for when building a team? Like, is there certain qualities or like kind of an atmosphere that you try to create when building these teams? You know, it's uh, work ethic is mm-hmm. key. Um, professionalism is key. Um, dedication. Um, yeah. You know, we're blessed. The group, myself, Sean, and, and the rest of the team, a lot of people will work 150% of the time, you know, and, and I try to do that myself to lead by example. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest challenge as of lately has been COVID and the virtual offices that's made a new challenge in working together but you know we are now coming out of covid and everyone's maintained their work ethic they've almost worked too hard and we're very thankful for that and they've worked hard without reward because good news doesn't get rewarded in this market so but work ethic is is the key element to our culture and then and that's what we look for how do you kind of like identify work ethic in a person like yeah, how would you identify that to show that they have someone else drive? It's a good question. You look for the passion. Yeah. And the passion generally gives the obvious indication of work ethic and drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our geologist, Michael Hendrickson, he's our chief geologist of our group. Uh, he's super passionate, super deep science knowledge, and he pushes it too many hours in a day, probably an 18-hour-a-day guy. Um, you go to our CFOs, um, Libby Senna and Stacey, uh, Stacey Roa, these women, they work around the clock to get business done for us so that we can really achieve greatness, you know, and, and we're a group that is growing in a tough part of the market. And we've drawn really hard lately on, on our teams to dr- deliver hard and, and people have, and this is amongst having families dealing with COVID, all kinds of challenges that have come up. Yeah, like I said, I was talking to Craig Perry, the episode released this morning, but he says passion kind of finds you sometimes. Would you agree with that? Um, You know, I was passionate since the day I came out. And um, I think that, I I don't think it found me. I think I was born with it. I I, I don't think you can, you can find interest that can, you can become passionate about or that can find you. But for me, whether I was doing real estate, whether I was, in medicine or what have you i'm a passionate person i do what i love doing and i've always been that way so i think you kind of got to have it just like optimism right mm-hmm. you can't find optimism we can't find you i mean in a bull market everyone's optimists are actually yeah. bold in a bear market they're pessimists they go with that but i'm bold and optimistic all the time good or bad market right yeah. so i think it's more with you than than finding you but it can happen mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the ways you look to promote a mining company or kind of get your story out there? I know a lot of people like kind of struggle with this. So what strategies do you have? Like, do you look for strategic investors kind of, or? So it, it starts from within. We have a, a couple very, very supportive investors that have backstop all of our companies. They've made money with us. They know our business well. And, um, you know, we start, you know, in that close group of big supporters, but we market quite a bit and mm-hmm. we spend quite a bit on marketing and how we measure it is if we have something really good to say, we're going to spend money to go say it. And for me, if I'm going after, like in Copernico, uh, the ninth largest potential mine in the world, copper mine, I want the whole world to watch and to know what I'm doing so we could get that kind of reaction. Yeah, for sure. Um, are there any mistakes or learning experiences that you've had as CEO? And kind of can you look back on that? Sure. Hindsight is um, always 2020. And, um, you know, I think the biggest lesson I've learned in the new paradigm for bull markets or lack thereof of mining stocks is spend slow and spend slow into a discovery when the markets are unsure. And it's a lot easier to spend slower 
than it is to raise money in some of these challenging markets. And I think where a lot of mining companies or exploration companies get caught is they realize that too late. When money's yeah. not available, they start to slow it down when it's a problem. But I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is spend slower in, uh, in all markets until you get the windfall, the discovery and the capital you need to drive forward. Yeah. How do you know when you're spending too much money or when you kind of got to lower the, lower the gas a little bit? It's when your results don't get the appreciation that yeah. you think they deserve. And if you see that in a period of a few months, a few different results, you need to really adjust your plan pretty quick. And, and juniors have that ability to be maneuverable to a degree. Um, at the same time, we're plagued with having to drive the project forward. So it's a fine balance, but, yeah. but that's the key part. Yeah. If you look like, what's the main difference between a successful mining company and like a non-successful mining company, aside from like the obvious Joe results, like you can look back at more like the team kind of aspect or? Well, I think, I think there's a lot of luck involved, but the team creates their luck, right? And I think the biggest difference is work ethic and confidence. And I think that the companies that do what we do that don't do as well, generally they don't try as hard and, or they're not as bold to go out there on the global scene, right? Yeah. In my career, I started, you know, with our own company, Sean and I in 05, since then we started together. I did 1500 flights in 15 years. So hundred flights a year wow. for 15 years. And that's how you get established. That's the effort. If I take 100 flights in this year now, the next 12 months for any of my companies to go visit brokers, institutions, investors, I can assure you the company is going to get an audience. It's going to get capital. It's yeah, going to do well. It's going to be out there. And I don't think other companies work as hard. A lot of people want shortcuts. They want to pay marketing platforms to do the job for them. Yeah. And I think you have to do all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um how do you identify what metal to go after? Like when you're looking at a depositor, when you're trying to start a new company, what kind of gives you the signals? Economics and grade. I mean, we look at supply, copper. The world is actually running out of copper. Mm -hmm. And anything power, green planet, electric cars, all of the above. Anything that you use that is electricity or if you drink water, if you have a house, pipes. Um, that, that's, that's an easy one. Um, gold has its place. It always has. There's been the interference of cryptos, cannabis, all the other speculative markets that kind of drew away from gold, yeah. but gold will never stop being gold. And, you know, it's going to go through its own cycle. A lot of people claim it's manipulated, but there's always value there. Uh, silver is the number one most reactionary equity in terms of if you have success, if silver goes up, there's a lot of leverage to the silver gold ratio. And that really comes out into stocks and they perform the best. So those three are my top. But economics and grade are the key factors. If it's a really rich zinc mine and it's a big one, a world-class one, I'll do it because we'll all make a lot of money doing it. But I like those three because I know them the best. Yeah. What do you think of the gold price right now and how it like kind of has really gone with historic, like when inflation rises a lot, it usually goes up too? I think there's a huge lag. And I think that uh, the gold price right now is setting up to go a lot higher. I think that it needs to decouple from the US dollar and start to react to inflation, global uh, crisis in terms of the war in the Ukraine. I think everybody sees it happening. It's just not happening yet. Um, if you look at the macroeconomic picture, we're in a state of possible crash, turmoil in the crypto, the Dow. And I think that any masked upside for gold is being masked by negative events going on. But I also think rates have to go higher and show for a couple of quarters that 
inflation is out of control and the Fed can't slow it down. I think once we hit that breaking point, we kind of get back to 1980, yeah. where gold went, you know, percentage wise, almost tripled pretty mm-hmm. much that year. How do you identify what properties to go after when you've got your metal and kind of where you want to go? Um, rely heavily on, on our geologists. Um, you know, we, we choose countries that have some of the larger mines in the world, mm-hmm. because if there's large mines there, there's a chance to find large mines there. Um, Nevada's at the top of the list. Quebec is at the top of the list. Those two are equal. We were in Peru and in uh, Chile, and we're looking at Panama, Ecuador, and Colombia, because some of the world's largest or the world's largest mines exist in these areas. And there's a price to pay. It's not easy. Um, you got to navigate politics and social, but you know the rocks never change. The politics change. So the trick now is not you know finding a good place to work. It's finding a big mine. And that's what's become more difficult than ever before. Yeah. So finding, so having that attractive mind is more important than kind of the jurisdiction of the area for you. You, you weigh it all. You have to be able to work. Yeah. I have to be able to take my family there. It has to be safe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if, you know, we take Peru, for example, there's a shift in government from right to left and anti-mining kind of sentiment. It's not go away mining because it's a huge proponent of their GDP. And we're waiting on a project for almost five years to get access. But we, we see the, the hallmarks of something legendary in terms of discovery. So the size will attract, the grade will attract, and it'll give you the ability to be persevere through the time frame it takes to get, get online. Mm-hmm. Are you a CEO that kind of goes down and visits these projects quite often and checks out the mines? Like that? It depends where and, and as needed. So in, uh, in Keegan and Ghana, in the seven years that I was going there, I'd been there for at least a month and a half of every year through multiple trips, maybe two months. In Mexico, in Caden's case, I lived in Arizona at the time. It was an hour and a half flight. I was there every month, you know, multiple times. Now we're in Peru uh, since COVID. I haven't been back yet. Um, we're close to getting access to our project to bringing it online. And so I'll be going back down and I'll probably go at least two or three times a year. But uh, as needed, um, when you operate in foreign countries, it's best to operate in Peru as a Peruvian. And we have an incredible Peruvian team that represents us there. And, you know, for us to come down once in a while as, as needed, it's, it's key, but, but not to overdo it. Yeah, I would say it's key as well, seeing as a worker, seeing my boss come down and probably motivate me. He actually cares. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what project are you most excited about right now from your, from your team? Oh, this, uh, this, you know, it's asking me what your favorite child is. I have four children, <laughs> if you look at that way. And, and uh, it would be unfair to pick on one, but I'll tell you a little bit about each company that has yeah. a project and, and give sure. you the four that make sense. Uh, Fury Gold Mines, um, six, the one, it, it's, it's the largest market cap one right now, 15 million in the bank, 76 million shares we got of Dolly Barn for selling a non-core asset worth about 40 to $60 million today. Um, that has a project in Quebec and there's a target called Percival, which we're about to drill and in, in June. And that target could really open up the discovery to, to double the ounces that are there. Uh, Committee Bay is in Fury. That is the largest unex- underexplored gold belt in the world, 300 kilometers of high grade gold. Um, we've scratched the surface on a, a big discovery point and we won't get to it till next year, but those two really stand out for Fury. Uh, love them. Love Committee Bay to death. Um, going into Torque, we just made a discovery in Chile. We made that one in a hundred thousand chance of making the discovery. We drilled, thank you, 90 meters of a one and a half percent copper equivalent or point, was a 0.94 copper and 0.84 gold. Um, remarkable hole all by itself. Huge target that it sits on a big, tr- big structure. 
and we're about to start drilling it again. And then Torque also has a drill hole in another project, 925 meters of half percent copper roughly. And that is something that sits with very few drill holes in it. And we should be drilling that in the fall. So those two really stand out for Torque. So I've just given you gold in Fury. I've given you copper and gold in Torque. Um, tier one silver is one of my favorites because there's 20 square kilometers of one to 300 kilograms of silver on surface. That's a massive endowment of grade in rock samples. We drilled 16 holes and the last hole, we started to hit a meter and a half of 1.2 kilograms silver. We think it's the start of an ore shoot, but we also figured out where we are in the system in terms of which horizon is the most uh, appealing to go make a silver discovery. And we saw evidence of a huge porphyry in terms of it's on the world's largest porphyry belt or one of them. And then lastly, Copernico, it's, it's the one I'm the CEO of right now. We have the Sombrero project in Southern Peru. It's analog is Las Bombas, the ninth largest copper producer in the world. There's 12 kilometers of magnetic and electrical targets that have a drill hole on the edge of them, which tell us the signals the same throughout. And it's about 115 meters of 0.58% copper gold equivalent which tells us it has a chance to really give us something world-class. So that that is, I have to be partial as a CEO to one, but I'm the largest shareholder amongst management in each of those companies. So those are my four kids and those are why. Yeah. Um, what does the next five year, years look like for you guys? Is it kind of just with these projects or do you guys think you'll be going into new markets? Uh, you know what? Um, we have a job to do here. We're at the mature stages of discovery or the start of discovery. And our business plans are coming together really strongly in, in this muted market. But we're going to see some rewards, we believe. Um, I've always had a passion for Nevada. And um, I'll always keep an eye there. And one day I might be you know, heavily involved in a Nevada story here soon. But um, that's it. You know, I, I want to keep it close to home, North South America. Yeah. Um, I love the team we work with. I love the work ethic that the team we were able to build. And I don't want to stop drilling. I don't want to have as many companies <laughs> going forward. And I'm hoping that some of these are successful enough to, to monetize like Arcaden did and get bought by a bigger company on the back of a discovery in a good market. Um, but ultimately, it would be to, uh, to have one company or to, you know, for the group and everyone to work and, and keep looking for it. What do you think the next five years of the mining industry looks like as a whole? You know, I've seen a lot of people leaving. Um, we see people like Ross Beatty, Frank Juicer, Robert Friedland, mm -hmm. Lucas Lundin. Um, that's an incredible era of mining entrepreneurs ahead of us. Yeah. Most of those are my mentors or people who I follow or I've been had the chance yeah, yeah. to be close with. They're, they're getting into retirement. And I think in five years, I don't know if they're going to come back for another cycle or not. This is a tough business and it got way tougher in this last year or two. Um, so I see a big gap. I see room for less people. I see the challenge of finding things much harder. I see the social challenges of getting access to great projects much more difficult. So I see a massive drought. I think the industry has been in a bear market for so long that it's, it's missing on personnel. And I think we're going to have a real issue going forward, which is going to results in much higher metal prices um, because the time it takes when you make a discovery to bring something forward. So I see production cliffs looming everywhere. I see an industry which is contracted due to its lack of appeal. I'm seeing a lot of people quit the industry now, leave it to do other things and hitting their frustration points. And so that's that's where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a very robust industry if you stay in it. 
you're going to do extremely well. There'll be less people, less discoveries, and there'll be a lot more rewards. And then it will go back to the cycle of rebuilding once it can deliver that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you think that comes with like a bull market, like kind of the changing in personnel and that will kind of attract these guys to come back. When people see share prices go up like Philo mining from a few dollars to $22 in a short period of time and beyond that, um, when people start to see those reactions, it'll draw speculators in, it'll become appealing. Personally, um, on the philanthropic side, I'm looking towards um, putting together some scholarships for women in high schools that want to go into the mining industry university. Mm -hmm. And I think our industry is overdue for a lot more women in industry. Oh, and, and, you know, it's, it's not tough because the women are amazing that are in the industry. It's just trying to get the appeal. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's predominantly been historically a, a more male dominated kind of tougher business, yeah. but now it's a, um, it's become a lot better and there's a lot more balance. There's a lot more expertise showing up. And if I can encourage a lot more women to get into the mining industry, either on the geology or finance, mine finance side, I would, because I think it's an extremely rewarding business to be in. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ivan. I really appreciate that interview. Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Again, please click the link in bio to stay updated as we do release weekly episodes, clips, and much more on our social media platforms. Thanks for listening to Behind Success. We appreciate your ongoing support.